Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. Um, We have some special guests today. Not only do we have a special co-host, you guys know Sarah Rattan Bates. She's our director of legal operations and training. Welcome back, Sarah. It's a mouthful, right? It is. It I is, was like, yeah. let me not mess it up. I was. I almost said legal training and operations. It, it, I don't I, know why. I, I'd go with anything. <laughs> hey, everyone. Excited to be back. Perfect. And we, we're actually doing something fun today. It's a special partner podcast. Um, so you guys remember Wendy Merrill. She's with DRI. She visited the show, God, months back, and she's back with us today. So welcome back, Wendy. Hi, thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really excited to dig in today's topic because obviously it's very relevant. We're kind of digging into new law, but it's also based off some some data that we worked with your members to gather. So we did a survey, put together a white paper, and we really want to dig into it today. But before we do that, Wendy, I would love if you could just kind of remind everybody who you are, what you do, what gets you going every day, and what you guys are doing over at DRI with your members? Sure. So I'm Wendy Merrill, as you mentioned, and I am the Executive Vice President of Growth Strategy and Branding at DRI. So DRI is the largest um, civil defense bar association in the country. Um, We also have international members. And um, so we serve civil defense and we also have a lot of in-house counsel folks as members as well. Um, I oversee marketing and sales and um, communications and publications. So I'm very much in tune or hopefully try to be in tune with what (laughs) our members are looking for, working closely with membership and programming to make sure that we are always providing value to our members. And education is a really big part of DRI, always has been. So we're always looking for ways to, um, to share ideas and help our firm, member firms to be more innovative. Love it. We love the education over here. Big fan. Big fan, <laughs> Wendy. Um, and, and before we dig into Wendy, give us a little background on you. How did you get to the legal space? So before I've been with DRI for formally as an executive for a little over a year and a half. Before that, I worked uh, with DRI as a, as a consultant. I had a consulting business for about nine years before I joined DRI that focused on helping lawyers and law firms to position themselves for the future. So working in particular with growth strategy and also helping firms to to prepare their younger lawyers to steward the firms into the future. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I spend lots and lots and lots and lots of time with lawyers. <laughs> Play one on TV. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of a member of the club without having to go to law school, fortunately. Um, <laughs> save, save me a little money. But yeah. you know, I, I, I just love working with attorneys. I, I find that um, you know, they, they face a lot of pressures, a lot of... Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty... can be a pretty stressful gig. And um, I, I enjoy helping them to be more successful, figuring out better ways to do things. Um, and also changing the legal space for the better. So that's that's a little bit about me. Very passionate about this. And DRI has given me an, a, a wonderful opportunity to really dig in and and try to take um, try to help our members to to be more successful, and therefore also helping their clients to be more successful. Yeah, I love it. 
And that's why we are a partner with you guys, because we're on the same page. You know, we're, we're all about that education. How can we help? You know, I think we all know the legal industry is a little slow to adapt, especially when it comes to technology, new operations or culture, everything. So kind of working towards that same end goal. I feel like I want to be Wendy when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> everything you just said that you, you do and just working with attorneys and, you know, just getting them to see the, the advancements really within the industry, right? And and um, in my time, I call them the um, the baby attorneys, right, or the the green attorneys. Um, I don't know. I think I might just just love you, though. That's amazing. <laughs> I love everything <laughs> that you, you just said. It's, so. it's a very. I think it's a very exciting time to be in the legal space because of all of these changes, which I know is scary for the status quo, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think that I mean, there's there's just there's a big push for more diversity. Um, and more, you know, work-life balance, whatever that happens to be. Um, and, you know, and just embracing technology and providing more value to clients and all these kinds of exciting things that strangely COVID, one of the, one of the weird, uh, silver linings, I think of code is it, it, yeah. it forced, I think everyone to think differently, but particularly the legal space to really embrace innovation because they had to. So I think that there there were some good things that came have come out of COVID, and, and one of which is is technology and and firms focusing more on how they can be more efficient, um, and and be more supportive even of their staff. Yeah, totally agree. Um, now, Sarah, do you do you love me as well? Because I feel like Wendy got all the love, and I'm just sitting here. Lauren, you're great. <laughs> okay, you're, you're great. Okay, just want to make sure. <laughs> Um, no, so that's a that's a perfect segue into this survey, uh, as Wendy just said. So we worked with the DRI community with their members, and we actually sent a survey out to learn more about basically how their lives have changed since COVID. And like you said, unfortunately, COVID has been this this terrible thing, but it has brought some silver linings to some business operations, law firms specifically, um, and that's kind of what we want to dig into today. So what we really want to talk about is how the legal market has adapted and really changed um, since COVID took place. And so we reached out to, I think, about 150 DRI members and and got some information from them, uh, basically around what are their thoughts on the future of practicing law? And so there's a few key takeaways that we're really going to focus on today. Um, one, folks have actually achieved a better work-life balance through COVID, which is interesting. And it really has a lot to do with the investments in technology that have been made and all the advancements that actually came from those investments as well. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about going back to the office, uh, whether it's a hybrid approach or being completely remote, and the fact that firms really str still struggle with converting expended hours into billable hours. So I think we saw a lot of efficiencies over the past two years. Years, but unfortunately, billable hours is still one of those biggest struggles that is out there. So how can we really address that? And what other adaptations, whether it's technology or this idea of new law, which we're going to dig into, can help you bring back those billable hours? So digging into the survey a little bit, we found that 
83% of people actually feel like they have a good work-life balance, which is interesting. It's gone up from previous years. Um, so I wanted to kind of pick your brains. Wendy, Sarah, what are your thoughts on that work-life balance? I know on our end, Sarah is very in deep with the day-to-day operations of our actual law firm clients. So kind of interested to hear what you've seen, Sarah, on that ground level in regards to that work-life balance. And I got to say for me, the 83%, um, though happy to see it in this particular survey, it struck me as high. It, it really struck yeah. me as high. And, and again, maybe I'm just thinking back to a couple of years ago before COVID, you know, standing in a room speaking with uh, attorneys and staff um, and, and pulling just different data points myself to kind of drive this point that you really got to have this work-life balance. And it was, I mean, I want to say around 33%. Oh, wow. Don't quote me on that, ladies, but it, <laughs> it was pretty low in comparison. But yeah, you know, uh, Lauren's right. This is something that I really... Really, really, you know, kind of scream from the rooftops that I think the importance of work like balance, what law firms need to um, really consider is that if you are not giving that consideration to, may it be an attorney, even legal staff for that matter, mm-hmm. I mean, the market right now, they're going to go find a firm that will. Uh-huh, right, hundred percent. Yeah, um, people want to feel like they can come in and do a really great job representing their clients. You know, billing those hours, providing a great level of legal representation, but still get to go home at the end of the night. And if it's have dinner with your family, you know, walk your dog before mm-hmm. the sun Whatever goes down. It is you like to do. I, you catch up on. I don't know what TV shows are out there. CSI or something. Or something you know, know. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, okay, you can pick something outside of I the legal mean, industry. It's fine. Um, people want to have that because if they don't don't have it, they burn out, mm-hmm. right? They really burn out. But that's been my experience personally is it's been a long standing struggle that in the legal community and in this environment, people feel as if they have to work, you know, 60, 70 plus hours, give up their weekends, give up their free time. And then they look back and go, where, where did my personal life go? Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't know, Wendy, what about you? Yeah, you're on, you're on the ground floor. These are your members. What kind of feedback are you hearing from them? That did, did strike me as high. I guess we got a, a pretty happy-go-lucky group um, <laughs> that you surveyed. Um, listen, any, I'll take any positive news in this department. I do think that, and I joked earlier about this, I think that the, the statement work-life balance is, it, it's a tricky one because it means something different to everybody. Um, and I think that, you know, on one hand, the the remote work environment has been good and that we can all wear our sweatpants, you know, we can look professional on top, sweatpants on the bottom. I'm not going to tell you if I'm wearing those or not. Right oh, now. come on. It was going to um, be a question. I know. Yeah. Now but, you have um, to. No. But, you know, um, and, and to be comfortable, but at the same time for those, I mean, I happen to be a remote employee myself and we work, we work longer. I don't want to say we work harder, but we really we do. do work hard because there's no commute to the office, right? So you don't take an hour lunch. That's weird. You're sitting at home. Why do you need right, an hour lunch? Right, yeah. lunch. I I don't know what lunch is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so you know, I, I think I think we have to firms still have to be careful, and they they may think that they're being very flexible because they're saying, oh, you can work from home, but at the same time, I still think that. Um, staff of, of all levels would benefit from some sort of structure from their from their firm saying, here's what our expectations are. We also expect you to take some time off. We also expect you to, you know, um, the billable hour thing is just, you know, in my personal opinion, I'm not a fan of it. I listen, our, our folks are litigators, so it's really hard to get away from that. Yeah. 
but I think for, for a lot of other attorneys, it it's, it's tough, right? Because it's, it's kind of like everything, everything for the almighty billable hour. And that has caused so much stress, particularly for, for younger, the younger generation, newer associates, et cetera. Um, so I think that firms are definitely more aware now. I do think that they are thinking about culture. Uh, you know, it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to actually walk the talk. But as you mentioned earlier in today's labor market, I mean, there is literally a war for associates happening right now. And firms need to understand that it's not just about throwing more money at people. That's not how you get them to stay. It's how you get them to move. But they won't stay for that. The way you get them yeah. to stay is to build culture, make them feel appreciated, recognized, um, and also make sure that that they receive the support, whatever that looks like from yeah. their firm that yeah. they need. Definitely. Because at the end of the day, that salary that you're looking for, it's it's ultimately setting you up for your future. So you yeah. can find a, a employer, a firm that has that culture that you're looking for, but say, hey, I was making this much, this much excuse me, at my last job. You need to obviously beat that. So. You know, something else that um, I, I've heard just from speaking with recruiters again in the legal field, um, the money is actually not top priority. Right. Um, a lot of them are saying, uh, again, to the point that we're discussing right now, uh, the flexibility, the balance. Wendy, to your point, there have been a, a number of candidates who have turned down offers because they say, you know what, I could actually make that or even a little less, but have a smaller or lower billing requirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. It's the whole big picture, right? It's all these little pieces that that really make up truly that bigger picture and that culture. Another thing I'll just note is what is the investment in the employee from a training standpoint, right? You know, an educational standpoint, things of that nature. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of little things that that makes the big complete package for these individuals. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I want to, if, if I may, I want to make a comment about what you said about training. Um, so before I, I joined DRI, my focus was on professional development and leadership training, et cetera, for for associates, junior partners. And the challenge that I ran into for many years was that firms were reluctant to invest in their people. They were they were scared, frankly, of throwing too much um, money and time and energy into training their people for fear that they would grab the clients and run. Well, that was short-sighted because as we now know, had they made some of the investments in their people, they actually would have retained some of these folks as opposed to losing them. So while I completely understand, because there's no non-competes in the legal world, right, that people are afraid of losing clients at the same time, to your point, if your most promising rising leaders um, value or feel, feel valued mm -hmm. and feel that the firm shares their values and feel like they belong somewhere and they're appreciated and they're seen, uh, they will stay. Yeah. Yeah. And they will join the leadership queue and they will be your future partners and managing partners. And that's what you want. Yeah, totally agree. And I think a lot of people fail to make that connection that if you have happy or happy employees at your firm, that actually translate to happy translates to happy clients. You know, mm -hmm. if if your law firm attorneys, paralegals, admins, whoever, if they're happy, if they answer the phone with with a chipper voice, if they're excited to give service to their clients every day because they're in turn happy at what they do that client's going to be more happy. You know, they're going to have a better experience. They're more willing to 
to review you online. They're probably more likely to pay in full and pay in a timely manner. And so there, there's a lot of that, that connection that people don't realize, you know, just because you have a happy culture, it doesn't just stay within the firm. It translates externally to your clients as well. Yeah. I agree. And I think, you know, going back to the fact we we mentioned 83% of attorneys in this survey said that they have a good work-life balance. Um, This is really telling too. So the next fact that kind of supports that number is that 81% of those same respondents actually said that they currently work between 40 and 60 hours. Um, So the funny thing is, I I think if I'm I'm wrong, correct me, but 40 hours is your traditional work week. Um, So the fact that they are working between 40 and 60 hours, but are still saying that they have that good work-life balance. I think that's very interesting as well. And so maybe, maybe they're still working those long hours, but maybe they're happier. You know, maybe they can work from home and in the middle of the day, they can go and pick their child up from school, take them out to lunch and come work again. So maybe it's not the fact that they're working less hours, but the way that they're working Mm -hmm. is allowing them to incorporate their personal life a little more. It, it kind of leads into your, your next point here. And I don't want to, you know, steal the thunder. Go but for it. It's next I mean, on the list. It, it makes you question, though, what technology are they using, right? Exactly. So I, I think back to many, many, many years ago when I was in the law firm. So uh, billable hours, they were tracked with your handwritten notes on a piece of paper. Oh, Wow. Right. Um, And so you were jotting down everything that you were doing. And then, of course, you know, allocating your time that you just tracked to to the tasks that you just performed. Um, Can you imagine how much extra time that was something like that, that manual process adds? Now, could you track time for the the time it took to track time at that point? Because that that is non-billable, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it really does. It makes me think, Okay, so so what other things are making this easier for Mm -hmm. them and making it more accommodating? accommodating to still work those 40 to 60 hours, but they feel like they have that balance. And it's got to be more, right, mm-hmm. than, than just the flexibility. And it has to be. So yeah. let's talk technology. Let's talk technology. Yeah. And I think what we learned, and I don't have the number handy, but I think around 76% of firms have actually, and this is nationwide, not just looking at DRI members, are using some sort of technology at their firm, which is a majority. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think about it, that's still almost a quarter that aren't, which is still a pretty big number, regardless of the fact that it's not the majority. So in the past year, we've really seen a lot of um, leeway when it comes to document management, practice management software, and legal research tools. So those are the key areas that people are really adopting technology. And if you think about it, with the majority of firms maybe not being in office the past two years, those are really the things that are going to keep your business going. You know, you have your practice management software, which is going to literally allow you to manage your clients and cases from anywhere. Um, We all know firms are document heavy. So the fact that you can have something to support that collaboration and creation of documents, whether you're at home, at Starbucks, or in the office is big. And then obviously legal research tools, because that is such a huge part of managing cases in itself. Um, So that's where we've really seen some headway over the past two years when it comes to adopting technology. Yeah, I think back to the days, and, and Wendy, maybe, I mean, you even chime in from your experience, but I'm so used to law firms being, as Lauren said, paper heavy, but those physical hard files. (laughs) 
right? Um, and you think about kind of that work-life balance and everything going on with COVID. Just, I, I don't know, in my head, I just picture like a cartoon attorney, like walking out with like, you know, a massive <laughs> arm full of like files yeah, and yeah, paper yeah. flying everywhere. Right. Yeah. Wendy, what are your thoughts in working with your members? I know you guys are so close to them. What kind of feedback have you gotten from them from a technology standpoint? Have you seen like what is really working for them? Or are there certain things that a lot of your members have adopted over the past couple of years or maybe even struggled with? One way they're embracing technology is, you know, we do, we, we're a big CLE operation. Mm-hmm. So we do, uh, we provide a lot of virtual CLE as well, especially during the pandemic. So firms are, I think, um, definitely investing in online CLE training for yeah. more of that for their for their attorneys. Um, you know, it's it's a space where we have a, a big presence, um, but it's you know it's a very competitive space because there's lots and lots of providers out there. Yeah. But I think that's where we would be closest, where we would see that that our lawyers are, you know, attending, they're, they're doing online CLE and they're also attending our virtual seminars. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely made it a lot easier to get that education. And I'm, I'm really glad you, glad you brought that up because, you know, we talk a lot about the efficiencies that technology can bring to law firms, but there is that other side too. There's, there's other things that are required when you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It, it's making sure that as an attorney, you have an opportunity to get the education you need to keep practicing law and technology makes that easier too. I think at this point, there's no going back. Virtual CLEs are always going to have to be an option. You know, it can't always be in person. It's become so easy um, for lawyers to get their credits. Well, you think about, uh, I mean, I, as far as I know, just thinking back in, in, you know, my 16 years, there's always been the here or there kind of online option, Mm -hmm. but it certainly wasn't what it is today. But you think about uh, again, this was another thing that was probably trending prior to COVID, but it was just really forced into it. If you are mandating in person, you are pulling that attorney away exactly from their clients, yep. right? Um, whereas I understand from an engagement standpoint, potentially it, it might be better for some to be in person, but if you can still offer that information, that education and that knowledge and the ability for them to get their bar required credits, right, to, mm-hmm. to keep their license current. Um, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. You know, it really is. Um, so I, I agree. I think that the whole CLE component in the education is, it's another big one and it's it's staying. Yeah. It's absolutely staying. Yeah, definitely. I think legal research too, just to add to that real quick. I mean, you know, legal research used to be... Um, publications. They were books. You know, they still are. They still exist. Don't get me wrong. And that's another one. A lot of attorneys like to physically have the book. And I'm going to be the first to tell you I'm a physical book kind of person oh, as yeah, well. Same. But still, Magazines, books, like I need to hold right. it. You know? When you have law firms though, where you have multiple people needing to share the same publication, you know, to research and, and look yeah, up laws fair. and whatnot, that's challenging. Whereas now there are just so many platforms where they can do all of that research, either free Right. Or they can they can pay to have a deeper dive. Um, but it's all online. Yeah. That's and, a great point. And they can bookmark and they can print and they can pull it up on their iPads yeah. when they're in court. Share with you their know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's a great point too. So technology, it's just it has made everything so much easier, whether it's actually practicing law itself or 
educating yourself, staying in touch with your your coworkers, you know, even having a one-on-one Zoom meeting and seeing your coworkers face as opposed to having pick up a phone and call them. You know, across the board technology has been amazing and a huge part of our growth over the past two years, Um, which kind of leads me into our next point, which is really interesting because I don't at all want to downgrade the importance of technology because we know how far it has brought us over the past two years. Um, But at the end of the day, it's not everything. There's still inefficiencies that need to be solved in other ways too. And I bring this up because through the survey with the DRI members, we found out that 78% of the respondents actually bill 75% or more of their time But that's versus 81% of just a few years ago. So at the end of the day, the amount of hours they're billing has actually decreased over the past two years. So we've, we've introduced all these efficiencies, but what else is there that's missing? And that's kind of how we move into this idea of new law, which is really leveraging technology, leveraging other service providers to provide those legal services in, in new and novel ways. And so, Go ahead, Sarah. You I, looked like you were going to say something. <laughs> I, I just want to ask a follow-up question, and I don't know if you ladies even have this answer. So is the takeaway there that this, um, what is it, 78%, I'm sorry, of the respondents are billing 75% or more of their time versus it was previously 81 mm-hmm. So is it because they're just getting so busy with all of these other tasks and responsibilities and getting pulled away? I like to call yeah. it leaving billable time on the table. Yeah. Right? And that's that's something that I definitely feel strongly about. We know, and I hate to use this number because it sounds so fake, but literally over 99% of the firms in the U.S. are actually solo or small. And so you're running the shop by yourself. Are you answering the phones? Are you sending out all your invoices? Are you spending time recruiting, writing job descriptions? posting them, interviewing, um, are you doing the task that a paralegal would do? There's things that are pulling you away. You can have all the efficiencies in the world from technology, but there's still things that are pulling you away from doing your job, aka bringing in those billable hours. And that that's what I think. Uh, Wendy, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my question would, would be more around not necessarily billable hours, but um, whether or not what their realization rate is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Because because they may be billing, but it doesn't mean they're collecting. Yeah. How much are you actually collecting? And that is a huge, huge problem for law firms, particularly for small to mid-sized firms. Um, so I think that any you know technology or advisory services that can help firms to better realize a return on their investment of time and to be more profitable. Uh, that's where lots of lawyers are struggling. Yeah. So I, I think that that that, and I know my personal experience when I've when I've had this conversation with attorneys and asked them what their realization rate is, they they kind of look at me blankly. They don't really know what that is. They don't even means. know the term quite often, right? And I'm like, well, if you don't know what that is, <laughs> talk about it because you know how much of your time are you writing off, and why are you writing off? Mm-hmm. And by the way, you know how much of your associate's time are you writing off, and why? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I know we did a, I think we did a webinar on that before, but it it amazed me when we were doing the research, like you said, Wendy, how many people actually don't know what that term is? And we do, we focus on billable hours all the time, but at the end of the day, 
you have to take it a step further and you actually have to collect on those dollars as well. So it's great that you have more billable hours and you're cutting back on the stuff that you can't bill your client for. But if you're not collecting on it, it doesn't matter. So that being said, there's really a a few things when it comes to adopting new law that can help. It can help with the billable hours. It can help with really deciding what you should keep doing at your firm versus what can you outsource. So think about this. How important is the function to the firm itself? And then you think, what is the cost of the firm doing it versus actually outsourcing it? I think a good example is hiring someone to be your receptionist. You know, maybe you pay them $45,000 a year. They get benefits. They get PTO. And maybe, you know, they take on a few tasks here and there. But at the end of the day, you're getting, you know, you're a solo firm. Maybe you have 20 calls a day. All right, so you're paying this person $45,000 to take 20 calls a day, whereas you outsource a virtual receptionist, you don't pay any of that. You literally only pay by the minute. So when a call comes in, you're paying for however long that virtual receptionist is on the phone with your client. Other than that, you're not paying salary. You're not paying PTO. You're not paying benefits. So that's quite often an area that firms do look to outsource because the, the cost, it's, it's obvious how much you're saving in the long run for a position like that. I, I want to throw something else in there that, yeah. that where there's savings, where there's a benefit that's not so obvious, which is um, most lawyers I know don't really want to spend time managing people. Yeah, they, just, no. they just don't. I don't think anybody um, does. <laughs> it's, it's a struggle for them. And it, you know, it's just not, it's, it's hard. And anytime you have an employee, whether it's a receptionist, an office manager, you know, anybody, uh, it's, it requires time to manage that person. It requires yeah. HR. So if you're in a small to mid-sized firm, it's not just the actual cost savings. It's also the time and frankly, the, the potential frustration. On the other hand, you know, not to say that people shouldn't hire because I don't think outsourcing is the, is the end all be all for everything. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that for today's and tomorrow's law firm, it, it, it's not, it shouldn't, should not only be an option, it should be sort of just the norm. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It kind of leads me into the next area of consideration. So how good are we as a firm at doing this? So not necessarily just how good are we, do you like doing it? You know, do you want to manage people like you said, but how good are you? If you're going to, you know, say you need to write a job description, you've never done that in your life. This is your first hire. Is it worth the amount of time that you're going to take to write a job description, do the research to understand what the salary should be, compensation, what the benefits should be, interview people, learn how to interview people if you've never done it before. Or like Wendy said, maybe you just don't like doing it. So maybe it's something like that, that you're like, hey, this is another good area that I could outsource. It sounds like a lot of time on Google. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Learning, Googling how to do it. Uh, just and a lot of time. Doing yeah. it. You know, and you think about it, if they're spending that much time, uh, you know, doing the research, trying to figure it out because they're not, let's just say a subject matter expert there, they don't like it. Um, it doesn't always mean they're going to hit it out of the park. Yeah. Very right? true. Yeah. I mean, because there's just, I mean, Google and, and all of your online research, it's so flooded. Yeah. It is. So again, if you and find when those there's experts, money behind it, yes. you can push your results yep. to the top of the page and it may not be the best results, but you're showing up at the top. Exactly. 
So real quick, if I could just circle back, you were talking about the virtual receptionist, which again, huge fan. You know, there's so much that they can they can um, do for attorneys. Um, virtual paralegal, though, is another one. Mm-hmm. When Wendy, when Love you were it. saying that so many attorneys just don't like to manage people. That that is just a fact. You are absolutely correct there, right? Um, virtual paralegal is another one, though, because oftentimes, I mean, attorneys truly do need that support and they need that assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, maybe they don't want to manage the individual or individuals. Uh, they maybe don't want the overhead cost of the the salary hitting their books, the benefits. Uh, virtual paralegal, or I say VP, and everyone looks at me like vice president. Mm. No, guys, virtual <laughs> paralegal. Come on, guys. Um, um, that's another great one. Or it's just project-based. You know, maybe you literally only need them for one major case that you're taking well, on. And that's the, the perfect time to use them, really. Which, again, the long term, it's there as well. Yeah. But, you know, let's just say you've got a big trial coming up. Um, you know, I, I think a lot about, not to get too specific, but, you know, things like the, the product liability industry. If you just need someone to, a medical paralegal to look yeah. at some medical records, you know, things like that. It's it's very, very streamlined um, option for for outsourcing. Yeah. And what I like about Wendy brought up earlier, it doesn't always make sense. So outsourcing could literally be a, a saving grace for your firm, but also it depends on what you do as a firm and what your clients are like. You know, for example, a firm that works with primarily more wealthy clients, they may prioritize actually having full-time staff in-house because they want to deliver more of that that white glove service. Whereas maybe you're a, a solo firm and you're just doing, you know, PI and it's a, it's a little bit more okay for you to be able to outsource everything because it's, it's a different clientele. You know, you got to think about that too. So there, there is a lot to consider. And really that last area to think about when you're exploring the idea of new law for your firm is thinking about, do we have the right people in those roles or could we use outside experts? So I think we talked a little bit about that already, but do you have someone in-house who truly is the expert? They know how to do this and they know how to do it well. Maybe marketing is a great example. You know, are you going to buy a billboard and you think you can handle it all yourself, get a good message out there, um, get good creative, something that really resonates with your target market if you even know who that is, do you have that person in-house? Or if you're going to spend as much money as a billboard costs, does it make sense just for you to outsource it and find someone who really knows what they're doing? Do people still do billboards? People do billboards. That's a thing. Um, I know. You know, it depends on the Russell Lindsay attorneys love billboards. I was going to okay. say, yeah, I, that's a I good point. passed by two personal injury ones on my drive here. Well, more than two, but there's two that always stick out that I always remember. And there's a new one. It's funny. It's on um, 170 going north, and it says size matters. And I think it's talking about the, it's a little much to take in for your drive. You have to think about it, which I don't love. You shouldn't have to do, but I think they're talking about the size of your your win. You know how much your you, settlement payout, yeah, your yeah, settlement. Sure. So um, I think that's it, and it's got Santa on it. I don't Santa, know. yeah, okay. it's unique. But you have to think about it, which is you know not to go down a marketing hole here, but like you're driving on a highway, you're going maybe 60 or 80 miles an hour, you know, you don't have time to read it all and think about it all. So find the experts so that someone who's driving that pass down the highway, they don't have to think about your billboard. They see it, they understand it, they get it, they know who you are. Yeah. You know, and that's that's where it comes, comes to having those you experts know, in-house. And speaking of... Um 
the whole marketing component, I, I think something that is still new to, again, the legal industry is uh, social media. Oh, God. Yeah. A lot of industries, you know, yeah. it's been around for what, 15 years now, but it's still and it changes so frequently. It's not yeah. easy to understand. Right. But building your platform out there on social media, which takes time, right? You have to have a presence and somebody managing all of that. But that ties back into your marketing. Yeah. Um, so again, having potentially an expert in that area, because attorneys don't have time to sit down and just build a social media platform. No, they I don't, don't. I don't have time to build my own. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just share other people's right. stuff. I'm like, just turn this off. I can't maintain. <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I know we're we're getting close to the end here, but take time to understand what works for your firm and what doesn't work for your firm. You know, there may be some key areas that, hey, it's okay. It makes sense. Just have someone else do it. It's going to help you drive those efficiencies internally, save some money most likely, and focus on your clients and those billable hours and ultimately that realization rate. So it comes down technology, services, what can you adapt internally? What can you do different internally? But where are areas that you can outsource to? And it's okay to do that. And nowadays it's it's becoming so frequent that if you don't start having these, these conversations internally, you're already behind. Mm-hmm. So um, I think my number one takeaway today is really just start having these conversations at your firm. You know, are there things that you can do differently? Is there technology that would make your life easier? Um, I know it's a hard conversation sometime if you're fully staffed, but are there areas that you can maybe outsource and save some money and do a little better? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, my takeaway is very similar to yours, just some different wording. Don't be afraid of change. Yeah. You know, and, and which is hard in this industry. It, it, it is. is. I, I truly say that, and I'm coming from a really good place. I mean, don't be afraid of it. Uh, the, the um, in my opinion, the firms that are out there and they're willing to take those leaps and try something new, and it doesn't mean you're always successful, right? Mm-hmm. But you're willing to try and grow and expand. Um, those are probably the firms that are going to be more cutting edge and and you know potentially see the long haul, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Wendy, what are your closing thoughts here? I think you said, don't be afraid of change. I, I love that idea. I mean, I, I, I think I'm in the minority that I actually welcome and embrace change. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's exciting to me. Um, but lawyers generally don't like change. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, we have realized this, you know, it's been difficult to navigate a membership organization throughout COVID because um, it's certainly forced a lot of changes. Yeah. Um, and we've, our members have encountered a lot of changes in terms of just how we do things and, um, you know, it's a delicate balance and it's, it's, I think change is inevitable. Um, but I also think that it's, it's essential to make sure that change is communicated well. That's what mm, we've learned. That's a great point. About our members. And I think what you're talking about is, you know, if you're, if, if Lexicon is in a position to help attorneys, whether it's through technology or consulting or what have you, I think the communication is critical and understanding your audience and understanding that they may not be super tech savvy or they may not be used to outsourcing services and just, you know, doing a little handholding, it goes a long way. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Change, you know, change is obviously very important. And I think start small, find one little area you can consider and see how it impacts your operations. But like Wendy said, don't forget to communicate it. You can't just implement a new software platform and things are golden. You have to make sure that your staff understands it, that they understand the benefits. They know how to use it and they, they love using it and they see that benefit at the end as well. So yeah. don't forget to communicate. It's a great point. Great yeah. point. So um, again, I'm really excited about this episode. We're going to do something fun. Um, DRI is going to push this out exclusively to their members. Um, yeah, so you guys are hearing this firsthand, which is really exciting. And then a little while later, we will push out this white paper as well. So everybody listening can have access to the survey results and kind of, you know, it's nice doing stuff like this. White papers are obviously very informative and educational, but it's nice to see that people are in the same boat as you. You know, you may not be on the same plane with everybody, with all of your coworkers in all areas, but it's nice to see that, hey, you're doing something. There's a handful of other firms that are doing that same thing or they're having the same struggles as you. So you're not in it alone, you know? Amen. Amen. Well said, Lauren. Yeah, thanks. So, all right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to a special episode of The Lex Factor and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.